I'd like to take a moment to let you all know about a new nonprofit organization started by my brother Craig. It's called Treats and Truth. They fill oversized brown lunch bags with snack items, chips, crackers, popcorn, cookies, etc. Also, a bottle of water, toothbrush, toothpaste, sanitary wipes, and most importantly, a small gospel tract book of John. No cigar? I'll have to talk to him about that. The bags are then hand-delivered to the homeless and people in need in and around the Los Angeles area. Let's help get this ministry off the ground. They're a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, so any and all donations are tax-deductible and greatly appreciated. Visit their website at treatsandtruth.org. Check out the show notes for the link. Also, please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you. Welcome to episode 84 of the Burning Bush Podcast, where we share the message of the Bible while enjoying a good cigar. Hope you're doing well and glad you've joined me today. This week, we continue reading through Dr. Justin Bass's book, The Bedrock of Christianity, The Unalterable Facts of Jesus' Death and Resurrection, and I'm smoking the Foundation Cigar Company, The Wise Man Maduro in the Torpedo 6.25-52 Vitola. So let's go on over to the Foundation website and see what they have to say. An award winner aimed to please any connoisseur. The Wise Man Maduro is an offshoot of the original El Huehuense, which loosely translates to The Wise Man, and is named for a folkloric dance in Nicaragua. This Maduro has all the qualities of a standout cigar, assertive without being aggressive, full-bodied without being too strong, and interesting from first puff to last. It's a flavorful blend that oscillates between the sweet and the savory. Cocoa and vanilla notes play off the tobacco's meaty, beef-stock qualities, all integrated by an ever-present earthiness. The Wise Man Maduro has received numerous accolades, including a 95 rating from Cigar Aficionado, a 93 rating from Cigar Dojo, and winning Half Wheels Consensus, as well as, as being included in various top 25 lists. This cigar is a tribute to Nicaragua. Its culture, the people, land, and the bridge between the old world traditions and, and the new. Nicholas Melillo, president of Foundation Cigar Company. Foundation Cigar Company president, president Nicholas Melillo released of the wise man El Guayuense Maduro for IPCPR 2017 in Las Vegas, Nevada. The release provided a line extension of Melillo's premier brand released during IPCPR 2015, where the Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan Puro enjoyed a highly successful launch, 
going on to find inclusion in Cigar Aficionado's Top 25 list for 2018. Melillo blended the wise man El Guenense Maduro using Nicaraguan filler tobaccos from Condega, Esteli, and Jalapa and covered the cigar with a beautiful, oily, and rich San Andres Mexican Maduro wrapper. We've enjoyed a lot of success with El Guenense, and it's an honor for people to recognize a project that personally means so much to me, says Melillo. I was looking to create a line extension with a whole different level of complexity, and the San Andres wrapper brings just that. The blend encompasses bold flavors of black pepper, dark dark roast espresso, and cacao, medium plus in body and strength, and rounded out with a nutty finish. I've always been drawn to San Andres, Mexico, and have been buying tobacco there since uh, since 2003. The wrapper is one of my favorites, not to mention one of the oldest seed varieties in the world, which predates even Cuban seed. The combination of this unique capa and Nicaraguan fillers makes for amazingly flavorful smoke, says Melillo. And the Vitolas are the Lancero, 7.5 by 40, Churchill, 7 by 48, the Torpedo, 6.25 by 52, Toro Huaco, 6 by 56, Robusto, 5.5 by 50, and the Corona Gorda, 5 and 5 eighths by 46. And the wrapper is a San Andres Mexican. The binder is a Corojo 99 Jalapa, and the filler is Nicaraguan. And that is the Wise Man Maduro from Foundation Cigar Company. So let's get get back into uh, this week's reading of Dr. Justin Bass's book, The Bedrock of Christianity. We're going to finish out chapter 6, and this week's section is entitled, The Fool's Speech. Paul's trustworthiness and genuine belief that Jesus appeared to him is further confirmed by what he endured and suffered for the gospel throughout his little over 30-year ministry. We have already looked at Paul's primary bedrock autobiography in Galatians 1 and 2, but there's another bedrock autobiography concerning some of Paul's life found in 2 Corinthians 11. Some have called this Paul's fool's fool's speech, where in defense of his apostleship, he outboasts the boasters, that is, the false teachers in Corinth. As in Galatians, Paul takes a solemn oath before the God and Father of the Lord Jesus that he is not lying, 2 Corinthians 11.31. 2,000 years later, 99% of scholars of all different background, backgrounds and worldviews agree. Instead of recounting to the Corinthians his apostolic victories, wonders, and miracles, as in Galatians 3.5, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, and Romans 15, 19, Paul recounts all the sufferings and humiliations he has endured for the sake of Christ. Here is only a sample of the great apostles' adventures. 
Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27 What a boring life Paul had. In the cult classic movie Fight Club, Tyler Durden persuades his disciples to intentionally crash their car at high speed in order to have a near-life experience. Not many humans have had more near-life experiences than the Apostle Paul. What is also incredible about this list of Paul's sufferings is that most of them are absent from the book of Acts. The author of Acts has only given us a glimpse into Paul's adventures following Christ. One might even say with Raymond Brown that Acts might lead us to underestimate the Apostle Paul's extraordinary career. Pauline scholar Ernest uh, Ernest Best says further, If Acts amazes us with what Paul endured, then this list shows how inadequate its account really is and how much more Paul suffered than we can ever know. It is an amazing picture of Paul that emerges. How little we really know about him. How many untold stories of courage, compassion, and endurance lie behind this list. And it all must have taken place in the space of a mere dozen years. Paul's missionary journeys in Acts alone are incredible. But 2 Corinthians 11 demonstrates that there are so many more untold stories of Paul's courage, sufferings, and Herculean labors for Christ. What can we learn from this fool's speech? that by the mid-50s A.D., Paul had already been imprisoned and beaten many times. Death was Paul's daily companion. He had received the 40 lashes minus one in Jewish synagogues five times. We know that in this case, Paul would have been stripped and bound to a pillar. One-third of the stripes were administered on Paul's front and the rest on his back, while someone repeatedly recited Deuteronomy 28, 58-59. Paul himself had inflicted such punishment on followers of Jesus before his conversion. Galatians 1.13 and Acts 26.11 Which surely must have come into Paul's mind as he was punished this way. Roman magistrates beat Paul with rods three times and once he was stoned. Do not read over that too quickly. 
To survive being stoned to death is miraculous itself. According to Acts, after, that, after they prayed over Paul, he got right back up and went back into the very city where they stoned him. William Barclay captures Paul's courage here well. There could be no braver thing than Paul going straight back amongst those who had tried to murder him. A deed like that would have, had, would have more effect than a hundred sermons. Men were bound to ask themselves where a man got the courage to act in such a way. This is another of many examples where we have an independent verification of Paul's letters in Acts. Both Paul and Acts testify that he was stoned only once. 2 Corinthians 11.25, Acts 14.19, and see also 2 Timothy 3.11 and 1 Clement 5.6. Three times Paul was shipwrecked, and probably the most recent shipwreck was vividly in his memory as he wrote, Paul says, A night and a day I have spent in the deep. 2 Corinthians 11.25 The way Paul writes this implies that he vividly remembers this nightmare as he was lost at sea. At the mercy of the waves and the wreckage, he was clinging to for his very life. Paul continues his list of sufferings by mentioning eight different kinds of dangers he regularly faced on his journeys. 2 Corinthians 11.26 It is no accident that dangers among false brethren concludes the list, and since these false teachers are the primary problem facing the Corinthian church. The climactic and closing story of Paul's fool's speech is one that already has been discussed in chapter 2. When in Damascus, Paul was hidden in a basket and let down the wall to escape, escape King Aridus, 2 Corinthians 11, 32-33. We may not have a detailed account of Paul's martyrdom under Nero, but this list of sufferings should give us good reason to believe that he endured it with boldness and courage, and the proclamation that Jesus is Lord must have been one of the last words on his lips. Why did Paul endure the life of suffering, he recounts in 2 Corinthians 11? At any point, he could have left it all and spent his life in comfort and safety as a tent maker. Like his former associate Demas, Paul could have given it all up and enjoyed worldly pleasures in Thessalonica. See 2 Timothy 4.10. But Paul endured it all and died a martyr because he was absolutely convinced that the crucified man Jesus appeared to him, commissioned him that he should no longer live for himself, but for him who died and rose again on his behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.15 F.F. Bruce summarizes the power of Paul's conversion in his biography of the Apostle. No single event, apart from the Christ event itself, has proved so determinant for the course of Christian history as the conversion and commissioning of Paul. For anyone who accepts Paul's own explanation of his Damascus Road experience, it would be difficult to disagree with the observation of an 18th century writer that the conversion and apostleship of St. Paul alone, duly considered, was of itself 
a demonstration sufficient to prove Christianity to be a divine revelation. All the evidence suggests, and scholars agree, that Paul was not lying. He was no imposter or fraud. He sincerely believed what he proclaimed throughout the Roman Empire concerning Jesus' death, resurrection, and lordship over all creation. See Romans 8, 34-39. Was he then deceived, or, or was he telling the truth? The historian is faced with these two options, when it comes to the extraordinary transformation of the Apostle Paul. In addition to Paul, we can add Peter, the Twelve, and even the Five Hundred, James, and Mary Magdalene. Today, no one to my knowledge seriously entertains the option they were lying about seeing Jesus risen from the dead. Were they all deceived then? If they did not have hallucinations, then what did they see that led them to launch the largest and most influential religious movement the world has ever seen? As I quoted Fredrickson as saying above, I do know as a historian they must have seen something. What or who did they see? Now that we have finished our multi-chapter discussion of the bedrock source, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, we have one last bedrock fact to examine in the next chapter. The fact that, soon after Jesus' crucifixion and these resurrection appearances, his followers launched an indestructible movement that went on to overtake the Roman Empire and is to this day the largest religion in the world. So now we turn to the question, how do we account historically for the rise of the Nazarenes? And that's the end of this week's reading of Dr. Justin Bass's book, The Bedrock of Christianity. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Dr. Bass's website, as well as this week's cigar. Also in the show notes are links to Treats and Truth Ministry, where you can get involved in helping to spread the gospel to and be a blessing to the homeless. Groundworks Ministries for daily Bible studies and devotionals, and the Burning Bush Merchandise Store where you can pick up some items to help spread the word about the show. And I'd appreciate it if you would tell your friends. So until next week, have a great day, have a great cigar, and God bless.